everybody, welcome to this week's uh, episode of the Bison Hour. I have the distinct pleasure of having Michael Morrison on. Um, Michael is an Oklahoma native, yes. um, an entrepreneur by trade and by choice. Yes. Michael's owned various businesses in the past, like uh, landscaping, real estate, marketing companies, and then ultimately fell in love with his passion, which is now business coaching. Yes. So Michael, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, appreciate you having me. I appreciate you coming down. Um, I was excited to, to actually get you on because I've heard so many great things from so many good people that I know, and um, it's nice to put a, a name to the face. So. Well, thank you. That cost me a lot of money to get them to say that too. Oh, <laughs> <So>. not, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I guess we'll, we'll get started on, I just wanna hear your story of, you know how you grew up and, and what was some adversity that you had to go through in order to, to get you to where you know you are now. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your childhood and, and kind of where, where the whole Michael Morrison story starts. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's a colorful life. Mm-hmm. I was born into a domestic abuse family. Okay. And uh, when I was about two years old, my biological father had kidnapped me by gunpoint from my biological mom's dad and okay. took off with us across the state. But that's kind of not where my story started. It really started with all the abuse. I don't know if there was any towards me, but my mom and things like that. And so that was kind of the icing on the cake sure. when he kidnapped us, that she decided she was going to put myself and my younger brother up for adoption. He was a year younger than myself. And he only kidnapped me, though, firstborn, sure. you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and she tried to protect us. So we were put up for adoption and we kind of lived with a last name alias because uh, mm-hmm. back then we didn't have technology like we do now. And so that was kind of the protective order mm-hmm. so that my biological father couldn't find us or locate my brother and I. We did get to see our biological mom and her parents and cousins and things like that a couple of times a year. And that was this is after she gave you up for adoption? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But each time that we met with her, there was a I believe it was a court order that both parties that were meeting had to kind of take a longer route than normal Mm -hmm. to meet up. And then they couldn't go back home or the same location that they did when they left, just in case they were being followed. There was no GPS back then. Sure. And so I kind of lived an introverted life because of that. Even though I was two, three years old, you know, they say I study a lot of neuroscience because of this. And they say that most young children don't remember things until they're about four, mm-hmm. where it gets ingrained in their head, unless there's a traumatic, traumatic or dramatic event. And I kind of remember riding in a police car, and I believe I told my uh, adopted mom something about that. And then she told me the story of, yes, that's accurate. That's probably from when this happened. Sure. I don't remember anything other than just the the chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like I remember words or anything like that. I'm not going to claim that. But uh, so I always lived kind of that sheltered, yeah. you know, introverted life. When I was about seven years old, some of the teachers started recognizing that I was a little different in the classroom. I was a little more mm-hmm. shy, a little more quiet, didn't like to be called upon. And so they suggested that I go to a counselor or that my parents take me to a counselor. Mm -hmm. And they did. And the first thing, the one thing I remember from that experience was it was horrible because he asked me to draw a picture of my family. Mm. And at that time, I drew my family because I'm all about analytics. Right. I drew my mom, my dad and my two brothers, Uh, the adopted family that. I went into, they had a biological son, and then I had my younger brother, so there were three of us. But So I drew my family. And of course, this started this whole thing because I drew everything, the house and all that, except for myself. Well, of course, that set the psychologist or the therapist on this journey of he's got some issues we got to work with. So all of a sudden, I was being labeled. Uh-huh. But in my head, because I had been born into kind of a dramatic situation, Mm -hmm. I didn't trust people. So what I was doing, and I know we can claim things ourselves. It's kind of like a, an alcoholic claiming I'm not an alcoholic, but I do remember I was always kind of, uh, sizing people up, Mm -hmm. measuring people to say, do I trust you as a teacher? Because I was, I was noticing things that people would say and do, Mm -hmm. but then I would catch them somewhere else doing something different. And so it was kind of living this double lifestyle, which, if you recall, I was living a double lifestyle because we were being protected from my biological parents Mm -hmm. or father. 
so I kind of went through that. I was a C average. In fact, if I got a C plus, if I got a B minus, <laughs> I was on the road You're to scholar. For that B <laughs> yeah. I was a scholar. So that's just the lifestyle. And then kind of my scapegoat was sports. Okay. And that that's kind of how it is for a lot of people. I know for a lot of boys and guys it is. But what it really taught me was if you work hard, do the right thing, you get playing time. Yeah. You can make a difference. And so even though I was never I'm five seven, five eight. Even though I was never the stud on the team, mm-hmm. I always made the team and I was usually like that best sixth player. Or I would start on the team and kind of be just below the the best. You're a good team player. Yes. Yeah. And so it wasn't because I it came naturally. Mm-hmm. While everybody else left practice, whatever sport I was playing in, while everybody else left practice and went and had their fun, chasing girls and all that, I had to go home, shoot more free throws, learn how to dribble better. You know, I was always having to put in the extra work. So that's kind of where my work ethic came from Mm -hmm. that lifestyle. And then got to college. Obviously, that wasn't for me. probably dropped out. I'm probably the only person with a 0.0 GPA (laughs) because when I was growing up in my adopted family, we were a church family. And Uh so my mom was the administrative assistant to our senior pastor. So we were at the church all the time, which there's nothing wrong with that. But as a child, all of a sudden it was kind of being not forced, but to me, we got to go to church. We got to go to church. I love church now. I'm a believer. I believe in God, all that stuff. But when you're a child, it's not as much when you're going every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Saturday, Wednesday, blah, blah, blah. So kind of living that sheltered life. uh, When I got to college, I was like, the world is my oyster. (laughs) Let's explore. (laughs) So I did. The bright lights and flashing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No curfews, all that stuff. So that's contributed to the 0.0 grade point average. And then um, life started, you know, then you have to start adulting. So that's kind of a little bit about my younger life. That's uh, I, I appreciate you opening up and sharing that. I, I've always been the firm believer that, um, man, I, I feel so bad for kids, me especially, and, and you, and, and hearing stories like this. Like when when kids have family issues growing up, it causes all sense of of trust to be broken yes. with with their parents, with the world, with anything. And for you, living pretty much a sheltered double life, like not sheltered by choice. Pretty mm-hmm. much, you're in hiding your entire yeah. childhood. You know, your parents can't let anybody know who you are, actually really who you are um, to anybody, which uh, sounds extremely difficult. And when you say you threw all your energy into sports, what kind of sports were you playing? Basketball was my favorite. Yeah. Then baseball. I played a little ice hockey, track, soccer, pretty much all the sports except for football. Yeah. Uh, Because we were adopted and in our situation, my parents were fearful, as our parents now, of us getting severely injured. Sure. Because I don't recall all the rules and the laws, but back then adoption was completely different than it is now. Yeah. You had to be a little more extra special. Mm. And so I guess because of the potential injuries, uh, they just didn't want to go there. Do you feel like you recognized your love for sports because of that reason? Yeah, I could throw all my time, energy, effort into this and, and kind of have an escape. Did you recognize that's, that or was it? Yeah. Yeah, that's was exactly that? what it was. Yeah. Like I have no problem going outside even to this day when it's 30 degrees, mm-hmm. which luckily that's okay because today is like 30 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and going out and shooting free throws. I mean, that outside and being in nature is my scapegoat. Yeah. If I'm having a rough day, even to this day, I will still go take a walk or a jog or a run. Thankfully, in Oklahoma, we have a ton of hiking trails. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I've been all over the state to different ones. And I'll just go spend a whole Saturday just, you know, hiking 10, 15 miles. No problem whatsoever. And just soak it in. That's awesome. It's your it's your happy place. Yeah. So uh, college didn't work out. Nope. Obviously. <laughs> um, so so where do you where do you go from not working out in college or or dropping out of college to you know the business coach that you are? How did you get into business? How did you how did you eventually move towards that? If I would assume that you're what did your dad do for work? So he he originally were he was in the military. Okay. And luckily, we were stationed in Oklahoma at Tinker mm-hmm. Air Force. Mm-hmm. When I was a teenager, I believe he got an order, if you will, that we were going to be transferred to Boston. Okay. 
And my mom said, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. All of their family both were raised here in Oklahoma in smaller rural towns. So all the family was here. Plus, I think our adoption and that whole right. situation, I don't know that we could really leave the state anyways. Mm-hmm. So he decided to to take a leave of absence from Tinker Air Force Base and get into the private sector. Okay. And one of our friends from church or one of their friends from church owned an import parts dealership. So back then you could only buy, if you had a Mercedes or something like that, you could only go to the dealership, which we know how expensive that is. Yeah. So at that time, they were the only private company, to my knowledge, that you could actually go buy those same parts at a discount. And so he was kind of a counter help account manager type person did that for them um so what sparked the the curiosity for business because most people that grow up that don't have a dad that is you know a businessman or anything like that right. like how do you get into business like what did you do that's uh you know this all this all goes back to mindset and self-satisfaction and mm-hmm. fulfillment and so for me from college to the first business i started in the 90s i'd gotten to divorced or married and then divorced mm-hmm. we're not even gonna count how many times but more than once mm-hmm. and just seemed like i was always trying to count on someone else trying to be sure someone else that others wanted yeah and there just came a point where one of the um, divorces i just said look you're on your own mm-hmm. you have no kids you're not married you really have no responsibility. Like there's, it's not like I lived in a mansion or anything. I mean, right. I had limited bills and I said, now's the time to take care of number one. Yeah. And uh, so that's how I started. And I started in the marketing world because that's all I knew. One of the businesses that I had worked for, for an extensive amount of time did direct mail, which back then, back in the eighties and nineties, that was the thing. There was the phone book, there was TV, mm. direct mail, billboards, uh, newspaper. That was kind of your traditional marketing. And so direct mail is what I really knew. But I wanted to take it to another level um, because most of the companies back then, they were very exclusive to you had your direct mail companies, you had your printing companies, you had your graphic design people. Everything was individualized. Sure. I thought, wouldn't that be cool if someone could create a business that I hate one stop shop term, but but that's what it was at the time because we didn't have that in Oklahoma. So that was my goal. I was like, you know, it's not my ideal. I really wasn't a, you know, a champion of direct mail, but that's all I knew because I had worked there so long. So and how old were you when you started this? Uh, I was probably around 30. Okay, so 30 years old, starting your first business and then. The business was you're taking all of the design, printing, shipping, everything yep. all in one house. Mm-hmm. So you started that business at 30. How did that go? It was rough. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I started with direct mail because I knew I couldn't do everything because everything takes money. Yeah. Uh, the way I started my first business was I had a few hundred dollars in the bank. Of course, I remind you, I just gotten divorced. Yeah. So I still had the, the house was in my name, the cars were in my name. So I still had bills, but I had no second income. And I took out a little bit of second mortgage. I think there was maybe six to 8,000 sure. in the, in the mortgage. So that's what I started with. What com- what compelled you to do that? I mean, that's, that's a really vulnerable situation. It's like, yeah, I just went through a divorce. I got no money. I got obligation and bills. Most people that I know would just be like, I got to find a good paying job with good benefits yeah. so that I can just cover my lifestyle. What made you throw caution in the wind and be like, you know what? I'm going to double down on myself, like remortgage my home, pull out yeah. some money and then go start a business. That's a good question. I, can't, I don't know the real answer at the time, yeah. but looking back, I think a lot of that had to do with proving myself right again. Mm. There were being the introvert in school, you get made fun of, mm. you get bullied. Um, I was never beat up, thankfully, but there were times like in a accounting class, I remember being a sophomore or junior where the teacher had gone around asking the typical question, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, and there's the typical fireman, a teacher, accountant, doctor, and all that. We, after going through about the 30 kids or so in the classroom, I was towards the back and I said, I want to be an entrepreneur. And the teacher said, what do you want to do? 
And I said, well, I want to own a landscaping company. And so one of the popular kids in the class said, I wouldn't let you landscape my dog's house. And everybody erupted in laughter. And I was like, Mm -hmm. everybody's laughing but me. And I'll never forget that because it goes back to the sports as well. But I think that was my defining moment when I said, I'm going to prove you and everybody else wrong. Mm -hmm. That's where I was like, you got to take care of yourself. After college, because I had gotten so married at such a young age, Mm -hmm. I still had to give in to someone else. I still had to be the person I needed to be for the other person. I was never uh, myself. Mm -hmm. And so kind of being in that transition, I was like, this is the best time to prove myself and all those others wrong. Yeah. And if you think, I I think it was uh, Billy Madison, Adam Sandler. The one guy where he's calling to apologize to people and the guy like checks his uh, name off. off the, the hit list. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I started remembering like all these people that told me I wouldn't amount to anything. Mm. I wouldn't be nothing. I wouldn't let you landscape my dog's house. All these things just like hit hard. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not only going to prove them wrong. But more importantly, I'm going to prove myself wrong. Like, you're better than that. Everybody is. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a unique characteristic. I resonate with that. So I'm actually tearing up over here. (laughs) I I, I resonate with that similar story. Um, It's not a common thing in people to take negative uh, surroundings or negative circumstances or negative words and turn those into fuel and energy to thrive and survive and and move forward. I've, I've done the same thing. Every person that's ever told me I wouldn't amount to anything or anything like that, mm-hmm. you know, I won't go into detail. My, my response has always been, watch me. Yeah. And, and that, I, I remember that, you know, my days that I'm struggling or days that I don't want to wake up or I'm thinking of this business is not doing so well or this needs to happen and stuff like that. I just think it's like, no, you can do this. Like you you got to prove yourself right. And I think mm-hmm. that's extremely important for a lot of young people to recognize. Oh, absolutely. At the end of the day, you owe it to yourself first to be the person that you want to be, because at the end of the day, you got to wake up and live yeah. this life. It's your life to live. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's awesome. Yeah. So, so let's go back to that business. Okay. Um, so starting the business, doubling down, got a, got an awesome mentality of, I'm going to use all this negative emotion to throw into this thing. What happens? <laughs> you open up your doors, business starts running. You're like, we're yeah, gonna yeah. I didn't money. start running. Okay. <laughs> we 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 didn't even crawl. <laughs> so I'll I'll never forget the first day that well I had given my resignation to the company because the uh, the owner of that prior company was like a second father to me, mm-hmm. father figure, and so I had worked for him. Once I gave my resignation, I said I will stay here as long as you want because I was his key employee. It was a small family business. And so I believe I worked there and trained everybody else for about two or three months before I actually left. The first day I go into my new office, my new business, I'm sitting there and it was cold. There was no work. Phones weren't ringing. Nothing. (laughs) And I was bored within an hour and I was like, what have I done? Like, it was just weird because the company I'd come from was a busy company. You're used to people walking around, being part of a team. And now I was just solo, just like I was growing up, I felt like. And then out of the blue, here, knock on the office door, open the door. And here's this guy with this big old, like, uh, plant. We'll just say a plant. Yeah, like a ficus or something. Yeah, Yeah, big old thing. With a note from 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 some special friends that said, we know what you've been through. We wish you all the best, you know, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. Never forget that. And from that moment on, I was like, "Okay, there is someone. Because remember, before that, I felt on an island by myself. Right. Phones aren't ringing. No business. No other employees. And all of a sudden I was like, "Okay, somebody does care. And then it just I was like, I got to get on the phone. You know, and it really just goes to prove that we are so valuable to each other. Mm -hmm. Just telling someone that you care about them or let someone know that you're thinking about them. You never know what spark that will set that that person needed to hear. Yeah. Like myself. And then then it started going. Then it started running. (laughs) Then we started getting customers. So that one that one friend sending that simple gesture of just sending an office plant. 
changed the entire trajectory of Absolutely. your life. Is that a fair assessment? I will say yes. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, they're still dear friends to this day. And um, But we got started on the business in the first couple of years was really rough. It was fun. It was like a honeymoon. It, I would say it would be more challenging to do something like that today. Mm-hmm. The only reason is because back then we didn't have technology. Okay. In fact, when I founded my first business, I don't believe Google was even founded yet. Um, so we didn't have the internet. We didn't have things like that. Right. So if you wanted to learn anything about business, you either had to go to college, which I flaunted out, uh, or you had to go to the library. And if you're trying to start and run and operate a business, I don't have time for the library. Sure. Plus, I wasn't a school book type person anyways. Mm -hmm. So I literally had to figure things out myself the hard way. Uh, Just try it, fail, try it, fail, try it, fail. And um, so this first couple of years was rough, but it was fun. I had been approached by a couple other big companies in town. Um, because one of my skill sets back then was data mm-hmm. manipulation. So in the direct mail world and direct marketing of any kind, you have to deal with data and manipulate it to find your demographics, your you know, find your target market. And so within that first year or two, even though things were a little rough, uh, I kept getting encouragement because a lot of the big companies in this region were reaching out to me saying, hey, how's that going for you, that business thing? I was like, well, you know, we're day by day. We're, and they're like, hey, <laughs> it's how happening. about if I offer you this, would you come and lead my company? Yeah. And I kept going back to the thing that if I do that, I will regret it mm. because <clears throat> I won't have proved myself. You know, like I want to do this on my own. This time, like this time, it's all about me. If I fail, I'm okay with that. But I don't want to keep living someone else's dream or contributing to their paycheck or I mean their bank account. Sure. You know, that kind of stuff. So so I turn those down. But but really, in all honesty, those companies continued to give me fire because, again, it was someone reaching out Mm. that I had no clue they were even thinking about me. Yeah. And I was like, if they have confidence that I can come over there, I should be able to figure this out. Yeah. Really thinking, what what are you capable of if everybody else is like, hey, this guy is killing it. He's making moves on his own. We got to acquire him. Yeah. And to hear that, that's that's definitely fan in the flame. My wife's uncle, um, he owns a few businesses, but he told me a story a couple of years ago where he got a random call one day and just random number picks it up. And the guy on the other line's like, hey, this is so-and-so. And he's like, Yes. And he's like, I want to buy your business. And wow. he's like, well, it's not for sale. And he's like, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> I want to buy your business and I'm willing to offer you you know, X amount for it. And he's like, well, like I said again, it's not for sale. And he was like, like I said, I want to give you this amount plus this plus this and keep you on still. And he was like, let me call you back. And the he didn't, send, he didn't sell his business. He didn't cash out. And the reason he he told me he didn't, he's like, it wasn't about the money because he's like, the money, the offer was amazing. He was like, it was about the day that I say yes to that, I go from owning my own business to working for somebody else oh, again. Yeah. And he's like, to me, that felt like taking a step back mm-hmm. in my progression instead of moving forward in my business. And he's gone on, I think, to grow that business five times to where it was even wow. when he had that offer. But um, that's an amazing lesson to, to pull from even you absolutely as well. yeah, yeah yeah that's that's exactly how i how i felt yeah. uh, except in the personal life yeah you know i will have taken a step backwards and when will i ever get this chance again yeah and i'm sure you've learned over the years too that when it comes down to gambling on yourself or something else yeah. you choose yourself absolutely yeah yeah and that's where all the rest of my tools that i use in my head uh, come into play was kind of after that moment, once I got past, I'd say hiring my first employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at first, it's always, there's something about success that you feel like when you own a business after you get your first employee. <laughs> and if I had to do it over again, I'd go, I used to have fun until I hired my first employee. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't realize how much fun I had. Yeah. And then it got to where I felt like I was running a daycare, you yeah. know, like I had, cause I had just a lot of misfits. Sorry if you're listening and you worked for me then, but uh, I was the misfit yeah. leading other misfits. Yeah. It was my fault. I promise. Um, but it just, 
you know, it's one of those life lessons that I started learning. Somebody gave me a book. I think it was called, I mean, I know what this book is, Good to Great, but I think it was in that book that I read about hiring the right people and how you think you can't afford the right people. And mm-hmm. when you don't hire the wrong right people, how much it's actually costing you. Right. Insanity financially, mistakes, quality control, whatever that be. And I just fought that battle like, no, no, no. And I I think I had six, seven, eight employees, but I was pulling my hair out. I was literally doing every job, even though I had employees to do it Mm -hmm. because it wasn't getting done right. And when I look back again, I take full responsibility because I was a horrible leader. Sure. You know, I didn't have systems and processes in place. I didn't, I didn't know any of that stuff. Uh, and then finally, somebody, a mentor introduced me to somebody in town that was making a good wage. We'll say two to three times more than what I was paying these employees. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go for it. Shell and that was out. a big deal. Yeah. Shelling out for the top tier. Big deal. Yeah. And eventually I was like, man, why didn't I do this a long time ago? <laughs> you know, but I'm glad I didn't, because now in the coaching world, consulting world, Mm -hmm. I can literally coach from experience. I can say, I know you think this, I know you think Johnny is your key employee, but from an outsider looking in, I'm telling you, you can do better. Um, Would you, when you, when you go into businesses and when you consult with them and stuff like that and coach them, um, is that something that you recommend or how does that conversation go down when you show up and say, listen, your employee it's not really benefiting you as a business. Fire him, fire him, fire him, and then maybe hire her as a replacement for all three. Pay her more. Is that pretty much how, I guess, the consulting goes when when you recognize that employees yeah. aren't contributing to a business? So you have to be careful. Okay. Um, a lot of times, so I make it very clear <clears throat> in my messaging that I coach from empathy and experience, mm-hmm. not from judgment. So the way I kind of approach that sensitively is, have you thought about this? And I take a lot of notes, ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. We document a lot of things. You know, three months ago, you said this was a huge challenge for you. Mm -hmm. And it may have nothing to do with that person. So what I'll say is, imagine if you brought in a general manager. Mm-hmm. to take care of this, this, and this. And that opens the door for conversation that lets them explore in their head like, oh my God, if I could eliminate this off my plate and this off my plate, then we start talking about restructuring. Sure. And I never I never want to displace someone out of a company because mm-hmm. I think everybody's a fit somewhere. But I still go back to that got to have the right people in the right seat on the right bus going in the right direction mm-hmm. philosophy. And so maybe there's a different place in the company, you know, for that person or those people. I never want to show them the door right out. And that's not my intent anyways. I, sure. I don't come in as a coach or a guide to give them or tell them what to do. And right. I think that's one of the biz- biggest mistakes that business owners have is why am I going to hire someone to tell me what to do? I could go work for somebody to do that. Right. And, and, a good business coach won't tell you what to do. Right. They'll just kind of bring to the surface of maybe some, here's some things you haven't thought about, or I hear you repeatedly saying this, or this is a challenge. As a business coach working with hundreds, if not thousands of businesses, well, I've seen this work in other businesses that are similar to yours or vice versa, you know, right. just kind of bring some conversation to the table first. And then we kind of approach that sensitive. But, but by then they're thinking about Disney world, mm-hmm. what it would be like to have a Disney world type company. And what do I have to do to make that happen? Right. Get them a little more inspired. Question for you on that with your influence over a business as a coach, how, I guess percent wise or ratio wise, like how many businesses is a business coach or a good business coach like you able to turn around or make profitable or help out or help grow? Yeah. Is it is it more than less? Is it on the higher end of things? I just want to know because for for example, like my tow trucking business, <laughs> yes. it sounds awesome. <laughs> we're hauling cars all across the state. Yeah. Like we're we're making all this money, we're grossing all this money, right? But man, I can't figure out how to how to get that thing to make any money. And I've considered bringing in a business coach and, and 
my first thought is apprehension because like, I don't want to have somebody else come in and tell me how to run my business. Like, Absolutely. I'm, I'm smart. I'm intelligent and stuff like that. Um, but the thing is, is, you know, you're, you're in your fifties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm 28. You have 22 years of experience on me, if not more in the game. And it's like, why wouldn't I reach out to somebody like you? And for any business owners or entrepreneurs listening to this, like, uh, I guess, what is your, um, opinion on hiring a business coach from a business owner standpoint, not a business coaching right. standpoint, because <laughs> obviously you're going to sell yourself to everybody, no, but no, I actually, so my response to that is as business owners, because I'm still a business owner, mm-hmm. I own this consulting business. There's right. 13 coaches and other staff that we have. My response to that is we don't know what we don't know. Business coaches, myself included, I have a business coach that's been where I haven't been. Like my, one of my mentors is still my original business coach from the first one that I had 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I will never be without a business coach or mentor because there's always someone that's been where you haven't. And why should I have to do like I did the first two years in my business and try to figure things out when somebody else has already figured out the basics, Mm -hmm. you know, here's the things not to do for sure. Yeah. And then here's the things to consider. And then here's kind of some best practices. Here's kind of what's the trend in your industry. You know, have you considered this and that? And I'll welcome those things all day just because I remember the first few years, how much I struggled and how fur- how much further I could have been ahead mm-hmm. had I had just someone holding my hand a little bit. Yeah. You know, let me make the final decision. Let me get on board. Let me buy into it. But I'll I welcome the opinions, yeah, the outside opinions. perspective, Absolutely. stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's good. Sometimes as a business owner, I feel like you can get tunnel vision and everything could seem like it's all sunshine and rainbows, but in reality, it could be the worst decision that you're making, Yeah, right? And it's good to have somebody with that perspective. Um, so going back to the printing business. Okay. Let's let's segue back to that. <laughs> sure. Um, so what happened with that business? So you finally start hiring your employees. Yeah. Things start taking off. It's a it's a mixed bag or just a, a circus of people working for you. Yeah. And where did that business turn for the good or for the bad? Yeah, so we'll focus on that business only because each business I've owned has its own little story. Sure. But I think that one right there could be a good lesson sure. for many business owners. Of course, once things got rolling, we had a staff of about – 10 to 15, uh, hitting the 7 million mark, awesome. just right below that. You know, that doesn't mean my I was making a profit, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was still cool to say million-dollar business. Seven, yeah. <laughs> um, I consider business partners because I had, I had run out of bandwidth, mm. and I, I was just stuck. It was like every single year we were making 900 and something thousand dollars or whatever it was. I mean, it was just right at the million. And my goal, my drive was to hit that million. And for most business owners, that's what it is. A lot of them. I don't know why, but now my target is to make a profit. Back then it was to hit a million. So um, going back to those people, I was like, you know, I can't do this alone. I've tried to hire a general manager. I've tried to hire somebody that's at least vested mentally like I am, Mm -hmm. just can't find anybody. And I don't know if that's still true to these days, but back then it was. But we also didn't have the internet to like indeed to hire people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had to find those people. And so it was a little more difficult. But so I considered business partners and shame on me because it was like anything else. I was like, I'm just going to do this. I didn't do my due diligence. I brought on a few partners and long story short, 20 years later, the business files bankruptcy, the remaining business owners, which I was one of them, filed a personal bankruptcy because all the credit cur- creditors were coming after us. But when I started that business from the grassroots, brought on some business partners, uh, we were rocking and rolling. And we were multi, multi, you know, up to $10 million company, mm-hmm. 70 plus employees. So a good sized company. And then like most business partnerships, people start thinking their own little agenda. Yeah. You know, I can do this myself or I don't need the other people or whatever that is. Uh, it's different for every business. Mm-hmm. And so the the business imploded. So you said you guys were in business for 20 years. Yeah. 
So 20 year business going bankruptcy, that's not, in my knowledge, that's not too common, is it? No. Small businesses? Well, actually it's probably more common than you think mm -hmm. because not for this same reason. Sure. But in other, for other reasons, it could be it's a family business. Okay. I've yet to see a business that lasted past a third generation. The reason being is because the original founder, they've got the heart. They started it. Mm -hmm. They've got the sweat, blood, tears. The kids, they watch their parents sweat the blood and the tears. So they have a little bit more passion. But then when it comes to the grandkids, and this isn't every business, but it's almost most businesses. Sure. When it comes to the grandkids, it's like, well, grandpa left that for me. And that's mine and mine and mine. And then you start getting into this sure. battle. And of course, the business, the passion, the purpose behind it gets left behind. It's mm -hmm. more about the money. So eventually what happens is the company either gets put up for sale or somebody buys somebody out or like some other businesses I've worked with, somebody starts suing somebody else. Sure. And it just gets a tangled mess. But third generation is typically about as far as a first generation business can last. Gotcha. For that reason. Yeah. Um, so if you don't mind me picking your brain on sure. this. Um, what kind of thoughts and feelings were going through your mind after owning and running a business for 20 years, having a completely terrible outcome to that business of having to not only file bankruptcy for the business, but file personal bankruptcy? Yep. That's a low point in life. I mean, for somebody that already came from such a low point to building a business, blood, sweat, and tears. I know for a fact, blood, sweat, and tears went into that over 20 years to all of a sudden hitting that bottom again. Um, tell us about that and then tell us about how you climbed out of that. I yeah. want to, I want to hear this. Story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's as good as it sounds to me, but for me, you know, I, I went back to the mentality of you've done this before you can do it again. Yeah. And one of my mentors, even though I didn't really need to hear it for confirmation, he took me to lunch one day and he said, I have no doubt you will be ahead of where you've ever been in life. And I said, you know, I'm, I've got this drive to prove myself. Mm -hmm. It's not an egotistical drive to make millions or it's just to prove right. myself. I can do this again. Right. I've come out of failed marriages ahead. Yeah. Like everything that knocked me down, I went higher every single time. Um, and what he said was, I have no doubt that you will be more successful than you've ever been coming out of this because of this, this, and this. And I said, why do you think that? And he said, because you've been there, you know what to do. And his marching orders, we were at lunch and he said, now go do it. I was sitting there like at lunch, you know, like we're still like eating he's like, beans and rice. He's and like, everything. no, like, go. go. <laughs> and I was like, okay, marching orders. I took off. And so I did, I, you know, I, um, go back to, cause I'm all about neuroscience, uh -huh. the synapses and how everything's connected, how you can rewire your brain and all this stuff. And so I was like, you know what? I just need to rewire my brain. Let bygones be bygones, if you will. And just realize that this is out of my control. Mm -hmm. So that last five to six years of that business was the most miserable time of my life with that business. Mm -hmm. But it was out of my control. Waiting on an attorney to do this. Waiting on the judge to do that. Filing this. Filing that. Depositions. Right. Back and forth. Just a bunch of garbage. One of my very well successful mentors, he's hundreds of millions of dollars of worth. He's told me, he said, you need to raise the white flag. You need to give in. I was like, no, this guy's done the partnership wrong. Like, no, I'm a fighter, you know, because I'm mm -hmm. going to prove no one's, you're not going to walk on us right. that's left. Right. In fact, I told our team, of course, when a company splits like that, you've got employees having to choose sides. Mm -hmm. You've got employees going, I'm not putting up with this. I'm it's just going to go somewhere else. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and I, I did for business owners, I will say this. When it comes to a divorce in business or marriage, yeah, I'd much rather do a marriage divorce because a marriage divorce is mostly about emotions. 
uh, company divorce is all about greed. It's all about money. And when you put money in that equation, those are fighting words. People turn vicious. Vicious. Oh, and man. so it was turning vicious. So employees had to pick sides. Those employees that didn't want to pick sides, they just left. So, you know, the company's crumbling. You've got customers leaving, mm -hmm. you know, because word's getting around town. Something's going on. They see one of the partners is over here starting his own business and, and they're all, you know, scrambling. And at that time, we were the biggest uh, company in town that mm -hmm. did what we did. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like we could hide anything, you know, <laughs> whether it be an employee say something or they're approached by one of the business owners or partners and, and they might say something, you know, it wasn't like you could keep it a secret. So, uh, so, you know, I just let everything, I can't control the judges. I can't control the attorneys. Right. And I said, I got to focus on me. Luckily before that I had created what's called get serious and it's a life plan. Mm-hmm. It's uh, something I created where we look at the past. I use it in my business coaching. We look at the present and we look at the future. And I build out a 10-year plan. Luckily, because of all my past, I had come up with the equation or at least the mindset of not one thing can, should control your life. Sure. You should be diversified, just like investors. Mm -hmm. You know, multiple businesses, real estate, stocks, whatever it is. I had done the same thing for my life plan. Mm. The company that I had at that time was not the only thing in my life plan. So luckily I had other things to focus on. Sure. And I just kind of let the chips fall where they laid and just dealt with it as it dealt. And then there just came a day where the remaining partners, we just said, you know what? Life's too short. I'm done fighting. Have at it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on with life. Yeah. And so that's, and go create it again. Yeah. What I didn't realize was, um, like I said, I'm a man of faith, and I just think that was one door that God said, I'm, I'm going to shut this thing for you, so you go do what you're supposed to be doing, mm -hmm. what you enjoy. Yeah. And even though at the time, uh, kind of shortly after, I wasn't making near the income or revenue that I ha was accustomed to, uh, I was having a lot more fun. Yeah. And I didn't even worry about the money. Like, every, we were we had groceries. We still had a house. We had yeah. cars. Um, we had family. You know, the things that were real important, you know, when, when that all split up, when, when that went down, figured out who your real friends are. Yeah. I had some friends that would still take me to lunch and they take me to expensive lunches. And in my head, I'm like, let's see if I, if I was, I wouldn't be taking someone like to sh flash. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want to see your assets, your jewelry boxes. And that's basically what they were doing was, this is how good my life, you can't yeah. believe we landed this big account and all that. Mm -hmm. And I, in my head, I was like, you know, again, I'm sizing people up like I did when I was a child. Mm -hmm. So it's this whole life journey. And um, so I started uh, kind of, uh, what would you say, uh, reevaluating my circle. Sure. I had people coming out of the woodwork, offering me things bigger than life, um, you know, one, one person offered me free office space mm -hmm. at a premier office building mm -hmm. location guy hardly even talked to, didn't even know that I was on his radar. Yeah. He just called me about three, six months after the whole, when it, once it was kind of done, said, Hey, let's go to lunch. How's things going? Blah, blah, blah. He was like, you know, you probably don't know that I know you this well, but because I was working out of my home office, sure, uh, trying to get this consulting thing going. And he said, you need an office. I said, no, I'm fine. You need an office. He said, I know you. You like to be around people. You, you like interaction. And you'll get distracted, distracted at home. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm, I'm good. Well, that day he gave me a key anyways. He said, here's a key to my building and here's the code. And it sat on my desk for probably four to six weeks at my home office. And finally, one day I just said, I'm going to go check it out, I guess. And sure enough, I mean, that's one of my offices. I have several now. But, um, you know, people like that come out and it just gives you that feeling again. Yeah. Here's somebody that just reached out of the blue that you really didn't know you were on their radar. Again, you didn't feel like anybody cared about you. Because once you lose a business, in my opinion or my experience, it's harder than losing a marriage. Sure. Because you have not only those 70 people that you th were 
family, as they say. Not really family, but you know, you go to work with them and you provide for their you family. Spend most, most of your time with most them on your a time. Day, yeah. You don't have that anymore. Again, it took me back to the first day I started my business, first business in the 90s of the phone's not ringing, no customers, you know, that kind of stuff. And so uh, it, it was a challenge, but in my head, I was like, go back to your plan. You know, I might get serious. I do it myself. That wasn't your only plan. Yeah. That was just part of the plan. Now you need to pivot, figure some things out and things. So that's that's kind of what got me rolling again. Change in course correction. You've had some good friends in your life, man. Just small little instances yeah. like that just picked you up and keep you going. And they weren't even, you know, they weren't even really on my radar. Yeah. I didn't know they were supposed to be. That's uh, that's awesome to know that, you know, I, I always thank people that seemingly don't have a great influence in my life, but their influence alone has changed my life drastically. Yeah. Right. Like I just reconnected with the high school hero of mine and he didn't even remember me. It was, yeah. it was a guy that was a, a college wrestler, went on to be a national champion and he came and spoke to our group. And I just remember chatting with him before he went on stage to, to give us a motivational speech. And I just said to him, like, I know you don't remember me. I was a sophomore in high school when you were a senior in college, like doing your, you know, undefeated title run. Um, but you used to come into the room and you used to teach me. And I was like, you taught me all of the moves that made me good at wrestling. And, um, I want you to know like your story, uh, was so inspirational to me that, you know, it was, it's one of the key reasons that I went and worked so hard and, and overcame a lot of adversity and stuff like that. Like I think about you often and this guy doesn't know who I am, but I just said, I want to thank you so much for your influence in my life and what it's done for me. And, you know, to him, something small, small interaction with high school kid, but for me, it's life-changing, yeah. you know, for, for you, it's, I'm going to send my buddy a plant and you get that plant and you're like, okay, I'm going to rock and roll. And then years later, business goes bankrupt. Your buddy hits you up and is like, I have some office space for you. We need to get you back on your feet. And something like that can, can be so inspiring. It just shows that, you know, there are good people out there, but a little bit can go a long way in somebody's life and you never know when. And it's never the things that I've experienced myself, because I have a lot of st- similar stories like that, but it's never been about money. Yeah. Like it, yes, there was a value. Somebody had to buy that plant. Yeah. There's a cost to the building, but it was never monetary. Yeah. It was always, uh, kind of like uh, Bob Burke's book, the go giver. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like people giving and not expecting anything in return. Yeah. That's kind of what all those experiences were. So when somebody <laughs> believes in you, when you're having a tough time believing in yourself, that, makes you want to believe in yourself again and slowly yeah. gets you going. It's awesome. Okay. So from, uh, having amazing friends that hook you up with office space, um, you show up, you start working out of there. Is that where business consulting started or how did you get into the profession that you're in right now? That's where the charging for business consulting consulting started. I had originally started about 10 years earlier mm-hmm. on the encouragement from my original business coach, Uh, mentor because he told me because I wasn't fulfilled at that time the businesses were rocking and rolling and I was like but I'm not I don't feel fulfilled like I still feel like there's something missing sure and so he was the one that kind of encouraged me have you ever thought about a business coach or being a business coach because one of your biggest differentiators is you've actually owned a business or two or three or four some have failed some have been successful this was before the bankruptcy and so I, I found that kind of hard to believe. I was like a business coach that's never owned a business. And sure enough, there's a lot of them. But um, so I started doing it as a philanthropy, like giving back. Sure. Because at that time, our company was a multi, multi million dollar company. We were being recognized as one of the 50 fastest growing companies in Oklahoma, privately owned. Right. I was being asked to speak at different civic organizations. You know, everybody wants to know your secret to success. Right. It's hard work, people, <laughs> and taking action. That's all it is. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, so I, w- I was being asked to do those. But while I was doing the philanthropy side, I was getting frustrated. That only lasted about six months. And this is you going around just speaking about this is what I do at my business for free, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I was taking one-on-ones. So okay. here, some of these coaches, we had paid – over an annual period of time, let's say seventy to a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars in fees, right? Uh, between the 
between the coaches. And some of them came to our place for our team. Some worked directly with us. But there were there were years we spent over $50,000 in some kind of guidance or outside coaching. And so I thought, man, if I go out and talk to these people that were like me in the 90s, mm-hmm. that had zero funds, and if I could just help them get a leg up, get a boost on – this incredible information that they don't even have to pay for, man, how much better our society, how much better more businesses will survive. The problem was people don't do anything with free information. Yeah. <laughs> so I was getting frustrated because they weren't do- like every time we would meet again, one-on-one face-to-face, Sure. they hadn't done anything. You know, they hadn't taken action on things that I was providing or whatever, which was fine. I wasn't forcing them to, but I was like, okay, this is a waste of time. Right. I still have other businesses I'm trying to run and these people aren't doing anything with it. Then at some of those civic organizations, people would come up to me and say, you mentioned coaching. Do you still do that? And I said, for a fee, you know, that's just what you started saying. Yeah. yeah, For for a fee. fee. Yeah. And then that's how the consulting started. So over time, even when I was running or owning other businesses, I was still I was kind of doing that as a hobby, mm-hmm. but for a low minimal fee just to hit them in the back pocket. So there's an investment on both sides that started changing my mindset of I really like this. I feel like I'm making a difference, yeah. helping other people. We're going to have this many better small businesses mm-hmm. in the world. And, you know, every big business starts small. So I'm like, if I can help them, you know, that's my goal yeah. is not just to survive, but to get where they want to be. That's how it actually started. But the the office space, going back to that, that was the tool that kind of gave that legit yeah. feel to clients. So they bring them in and they're like, oh, this guy is not just working out of his house. He's not he working out of his house. house. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned something about how you giving out free advice as somebody who's well-versed in the business world as a consultant or just as a philanthropist giving advice out, no one listens to that. Right. What's interesting is when people pay you money, <laughs> they're taking down notes probably. They're yeah. probably taking, I mean, your word is gospel. Why do you think that is? I honestly don't know because to tell you the truth, I would say, I think you had asked this either off camera or, or earlier. The percentage of businesses that thrive, Mm -hmm. that we work with, I would say a third of those fail. Okay. And the only reason is they don't do anything with the infant still, even though they're paying for it. They're uncoachable. They're uncoachable. They're unwilling to change. They think they don't have the time. Mm. Yet I see them on social media all the time. Yeah. Not business related going to different sporting events, you know, there's things which I understand you have to have a social life. Sure. But when we would go to meet and they have done absolutely nothing, like some of the things could be just answer these questions so we can create a plan. Cause I, I'm a big believer in plans yeah. that nothing happens without a plan. I agree. Intentionally. Yeah. And so I'm like, just answer these questions. That's it. Like take you 20 minutes and we'll meet the next time. Not a one answer. Those kind of business owners, the ones that and I- And these guys were paying you? Yeah. <laughs> Which I'll take free money. <laughs> sure. But I don't feel good about it. Yeah. So usually I'm the one that says, we'll bring up the fact that, you know, I don't think this is a fit for you. There might be someone else out there that's a better fit. Yeah. That's how I kind of approach that. And then they go, you know, I've kind of been thinking the same thing, which tells me they were just afraid to say anything. Mm-hmm. But when they see that there's hard work, I guess they they have that mentality. They want the business to be easy. Mm. And I think some people's perception of a business coach is they'll come in here and fix things. And I'm like, I can't fix what you messed up. Yeah. I can help you correct it. But you have to do the, the work. It's, yeah. yeah. Uh, Darren Hardy, I think it was one of my favorite self-development guys. I think he was the one that says it's just like someone that might be well overweight mm-hmm. thinking that reading this book or doing this one exercise is going to take all that away. Yeah. And he's like, think of how many years it took for you to put that on. Yeah. It's going to take longer to take it off. And it's the same thing in business. All this mess that you created as a business owner mm-hmm. or things that you didn't know, you didn't know, 
it takes longer to correct it yeah. because people don't like change. Change is hard work. Yeah. The employees have to adjust to change. Most employees don't like that mm-hmm. because this is the business I was hired into. This is the way I liked it. I don't want it different. Yeah. I'm going to go find somewhere else. Yeah. I've had an opportunity to be part of a, uh, a business pest control um, EcoShield. Shout out to EcoShield. <laughs> um, but a couple of years ago, we brought in a guy that literally helped us restructure our entire business. And at first, we went from mom pa shop to, um, you know, we're we're turning into this massive national brand now. And Congrats. it wouldn't have happened if he didn't come in and help us restructure stuff. Mm-hmm. And th- there were some growing pains there. Just like you said, we had to redo a lot of things, a lot of our systems, a lot of our processes. We've lost a lot of people along the way yeah. too that just weren't fit for those. But um, we are such a more solid and strong company because of that. And um, I think just think it's interesting that people will pay you for advice not to take it ultimately to have their business fail. Um, so let's get into what you do in the day-to-day. Now, what is what is the average life for Michael Morrison look like? It varies, and I like it that way. So I have two companies. Okay, One is just my personal one-on-one coaching. Mm-hmm. So that's michaeldmorrison.com. That's where I work one-on-one with the business owner. And then my other business is it aligns. Yeah. It's similar, but it's a little different. It's where we try to meet the business owner where they're at. And so we have, like I said, 13 coaches that are very niched. Yeah. Um, one is a CFO type. One is a franchise. And these are people like myself, like they've been there. Sure. They're, they don't just read a book and teach you whatever. But um, they're very niched culture, leadership, you know, whatever it so is. So you have a guy come in, let's say, hey, I have a business coach that his specialty is in sales. He's going to show up and help teach you guys how to have a better sales program. Correct. Or the business. Uh, he's owner. a CFO. He's going to teach you guys how to clean up your finances. And mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah, we have that. So it's called Boss. It's businessownershipsimplified.com. Okay. And so you can go there and you'll see we have podcasts, we have online courses, which are a fraction of the, we still teach the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's just an online course. And then once they've watched that, invested in it, if they still have questions, they can hire one of our niche coaches for a discount to answer those customized questions they might have. We have networking groups for small business owners only. I know a lot of networking groups around different cities. They're getting filled with agency owners, Mm. MLMs, things like that. Well, most small business owners want to hang out with other small business owners. Yeah. And what I have found is most small business owners, they're not really there to network for business. They're there for education. Like, I want to talk to you about your challenges and let's go have coffee and be a be a a mentor to each other or uh, educational advice, whatever. And then we have our coaches. And so we have a lot of different things on there. Uh, My end goal, you know, I talk about visions. My end goal is to kind of be the Amazon for small business owners. Mm -hmm. For the simple fact that I have elderly parents, one my mom's passed away, my dad's still alive. We all hear about elderly being taken advantage of, mm-hmm. and being a small business owner, especially being vulnerable back in my early stages, business owners are taken advantage of because yeah. I still go back to we don't know what we don't know, and most of us, if it's an area that we're not educated in, mm-hmm. we will buy the bling. If somebody comes in and says. I can 10x your business. I mean, I know that's a cliche, but there are certain keywords that as a business owner, we're listening for. You're not shooting them down, but yeah, that, that, that we're listening for. And it's like, sold, sign the contract. And then whatever that time period is, 90 days, six months, whatever, mm-hmm. nothing happened. Promises weren't met. Deliverables weren't, you know, didn't happen. And so I see so many business owners, the ones I work with, go through the same thing. And I'm like, if I could create this solid, you trust our coaches, you tr- were a great trusted resource. Yeah. We'll just keep adding what you need to succeed. And eventually we'll have a whole shop of full of resources and products that you never have to worry about being taken advantage of because you've already been through kind of our organization. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't work for you, then you don't have to buy no more, <laughs> you know, yeah. simple as that. But we've yet to have anybody 
complain or ask for a refund yeah. to date. So just an in-house team that can literally help people build and scale businesses correctly from yes. the get-go. That's awesome. Yeah. So we like to say we help small businesses build a real business because right. if you think about what I said earlier, I thought I would have a real business once I got my first employee. Mm. I hear small business owners say, hey, once I get a brick and mortar I'll, and not working out of my house, I'll feel like I have a real business. So that resonates with people like that. If someone's happy yeah. at home, working from home, that's great. Yeah, um, That's not who we help. We help the people that there's some more levels they want to accomplish. Sure, yeah. Uh, it's funny that you say that because owning a real business is not as, <laughs> is not as fun or as glamorous no. <laughs> as, it, as it seems to be. And like it's you not. said, it's like, I'm not in the business either of producing all this revenue. I'm in the business of making money. And if, yeah. if it doesn't make money, it doesn't make sense. Right. Um, well, I'll, I'll ask you one last question for our viewers of the Bison Hour, everything like that. You've definitely gone through some really tough challenges in your life to bounce back, Michael. Do you have any advice for someone like you starting out in their career, in their life, um, you know, looking back on your life as a 50-year-old? What would you give to them as, as a piece of advice? What would you say to somebody like me, somebody like someone my age that May, may not, I'm 28, so yeah. you didn't start your business until you were 30. Yeah. So if you have somebody like yourself trying to start a business, what advice do you want to give to them or what advice, what message do you want to put out into the world? That's interesting you ask because I've never thought about that question, mm -hmm. but I'll leave it with this. I would say start your day with a daily mantra mm -hmm. and you can use mine if you want, but I created this from my journey in life. Every day is an exciting adventure with problems to solve and memories to be made. And if you go into every day with that mindset, I think you'll have a more positive, adaptable mindset. Happier life. Yeah. Awesome. Michael, thank you so much for being on the you show, bet. man. I appreciate you. You bet. Thank we'll, you. It's we'll, been a pleasure. Uh, that's the end of the podcast. We'll see you guys next week. All right.